Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 43rd episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and this week, my guest co-host is the host of Kraken Crime, a true crime comedy podcast, and he's a full-on cop, too, guys, so we're in for a treat for this episode, for sure. We're going to need your expertise here. My guest co-host this week is Jamie Tilson. Hello, Jamie. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course, and so I do need to know a little bit more about this um about this podcast that you do with your nephew right um so how, where did this idea come from what's what's it all about um so basically it's just us two talking um the whole premise of the whole idea or behind the show is that he doesn't know much of anything so then i tell him stories <laughs> and then we kind of make fun of the stories um we yeah. do true crime um but we try not to get into like real gruesome like murders and stuff like that so we mm-hmm. really try to go you know like um we've talked about bank robberies we've talked about you know like a criminal mischief type thing we talk about some of those smaller cases that haven't got mm-hmm. and we look for usually fun stuff that we can make fun of uh we've talked about like crime in the nfl and things that have happened with some of those guys like the dog fighting and um so we, we bring up all of those cases, even if they are big cases, but stuff that we can have fun with is what we usually look for. Yeah, awesome. Well, we need that, too, because true, the true crime world can be a very dark place to live in, and so we need a little levity as well, so appreciate that. And how long have you been? You're you're a county uh, deputy sheriff. Am I right about that? I am. Yep. I'm a, I'm a chief yeah. deputy with a small county in Nebraska. Awesome. Yep. Excellent. How long have you been doing that? Uh, I've been doing it for uh, about 14 years. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Obviously, most of the cases that we, you know, talk about here on this podcast would not be possible and would probably, and, you know, w- you know, without really good investigators and really good police officers. So appreciate you very, very much for that, Jamie. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get to the wine. Let's celebrate your, your, your all your success with, 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 with a bottle of wine. So this week <laughs> we are drinking Relax Riesling. And let me tell y'all, I do need the relax part for sure. It is fermented slightly dry with a wonderful fruity bouquet and intense flavors of apples and peaches with just a hint of citrus. Um, and so, Jamie, I know we were just we were just talking. You are not really a wine guy. I need to know what, what's your typical you know go to drink. So um, not a big alcohol drinker. When I do drink alcohol, it is I like a good scotch is typically what I go for. Yeah. And so, um, we you know, we were just talking about how your 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 wife, too, is like a little bit more of the wine drinker. And so we're going to have to have her on for another episode. Um, oh, so absolutely. Give the full tea. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's go for this. Cheers to you, Jamie. Thank you so much for coming on this week. Cheers. Thank you so much. Wow. So that is it's sweeter for sure on the sweeter end of the scale. Um, absolutely. Definitely like, like you would expect out of a Riesling. Um, fruity bouquet is a really great way to describe it. Cause there's so many fruit flavors in here. Um, apples, peaches, and I do get a hint of citrus in there as well, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that I like the sweet and I like the citrus with it. That's, that really mm-hmm. is a, a decent wine. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't typically like a wine, but I think I like the sweet and the citrus, um, mm-hmm. in this wine. It actually is very good. Yeah. 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 And it, it, the, because the citrus adds like a little bit of a kick to it, right? Kind of around the edges. Cause it's a very, it's a like very mellow, sweet, uh, sweet wine. Um, but then the, the, you get like a little bit of like lemony kind of like citrusy flavors kind of around the edges almost, if you really think about it. No, nope, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. yeah. I, I liked Mountain Dew for a while as a, as a drink and I'd like the citrus mm. in the Mountain Dew. So I think yeah. that that, kind of adds to this and maybe why I like this a little bit. So yeah, it, it does kind of resemble a softer kind of mountain dewy kind of, kind of flavors. I, I, I see where you're going with that. Um, and I know you said you're not a wine drinker, but toward the end of this, you know, we've had plenty of, of converts on this, on this, um, on this podcast before, and you will be the latest. I can promise you that because I don't let my guests go without, without being a little bit of a wino of a, of a wino by the end of the episode. So that's good. Well, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to see. So, um, you know, Jamie, I have a crazy case to tell you about. Um, it's one of the wildest things I've ever heard in my life. So let's get into this case because I, especially with your background, I want to know everything that you have to say about this. Yeah, I'm excited. Let's rock and roll. Let's rock and roll. So this week, Jamie, I want to tell you a pretty perplexing case that I really thought that I knew until I started really digging deeper into it. And what I found was a possible conspiracy that was much more than meets the eye. This week, I want to tell you about Brian Wells, a.k.a. the Pizza Bomber. (music) 
Erie, Pennsylvania is a city with pretty scenic views. It sits right on Lake Erie, right between Buffalo, New York, and Cleveland, Ohio. Erie is a, you know, classic mid-sized city, right? It has a small city vibe, but a large town feel. And in August of 2003, the region was really still on edge after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, which took place really not too far from where our story takes place this week. August 28th was otherwise a fairly normal day in Erie. The sun was shining, the sky was full, and it was hot. But it was totally unsuspecting for tellers at the PNC Bank in town. That's when a man walked in very calmly with a walking cane and slipped a teller a note warning that he had a bomb and that it was going to go off if the teller didn't give the man $250,000. That's when the teller looked up and noticed the man was wearing an oversized t-shirt and gestured to the cane to point out that it was actually a gun that was fixed up to look like a cane. So, terrified, the teller immediately pulls together whatever money was available, which only ended up being just short of $9,000, far from the quarter of a million dollars the man was demanding. But the man takes the cash and walks out of the bank just as calmly as when he walked in. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy. So, he he, he just settles for dramatically less than what he was asking for and just walks out. That's that's crazy. Yeah, and, and he's like, okay, thanks, and then walks out. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And, but, and then also, too, like, if you look up pictures of the cane, and we'll link to pictures on our website, too. Um, but if you, um, you know, look at pictures of this cane, like, it, they did a pretty freaking good job. Like, it really, like, it, it, until you, like, really look at the details there, like, you wouldn't really know. Like, I would maybe think, you know, if I really looked at it, I would maybe think it was, like, a cane that was, like, like made to look like a gun, but certainly not a gun that was made to look like a cane. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, the detail is, in, is insane. So, um, you know, this man, though, doesn't get very far. Police surrounded him within minutes of leaving the bank. Now, it's important to note here that they believe the man was lying about the bomb. They assumed that it was a fake, and as they told producers for the Netflix docuseries Evil Genius, the man immediately falls to the ground, and police walk up to put handcuffs around his wrists. And when they do, they immediately realize that their assumption was wrong. They start hearing a steady beeping noise, and the man starts crying out, saying that the bomb was about to go off. They cut open the man's oversized shirt, and there it is, even what the most untrained eye would know right away was a bomb in the form of a collar affixed to the man's neck in a labyrinth of locks and coats. Oh, wow. So so it's a bomb in mixed into a collar around his neck yeah but i just like picture a bunch of like wires and and like intermingled with locks and stuff right but yeah i mean that that was the that was what it was i mean it, it, and and again like you know like the labyrinth of, of locks and codes we're going to get into that a little bit later on but like who like whoever did this whoever made this thing like knew what they were doing like really really well oh that's absolutely unreal yeah that'd be that'd be really suspicious i mean when that would be very unique to see something like that as you always think of like, you know, the vest. So it's really right. weird having it as like a collar around his neck, man. That's, Whew, that's definitely unique. Well, and again, so so the the tensions here are high, right? Because again, kind of what we were talking about before about how like nine eleven had ju- had really, in retrospect, just happened, right? I mean, two years earlier, right? Um, and so like the country is on high alert still, and so like people are not taking lightly to like a man who claims to have a bomb, you know, and like at, at all. Oh right, you rush right up to him and like right. bombs, and then yeah, and then to for it to actually be a bomb or what they appear to, they believe to be a bomb is pretty crazy right I mean, yeah, yeah. So, well you would think that they were then yeah they're all gonna back up and just leave the guy standing there they don't want to be anywhere right. around the bomb so i mean be crazy yeah well and if you see like the video of this whole thing right like because because there's video of this whole entire interaction of like him, them walking up and like and like getting this guy i mean you can see the moment when they're like oh shit and then like you and they just they just take off running in the opposite direction um, right. I mean, it's just, it is, it's very, you know, hollowing. It's very, it's, it's a lot. So, um, but it gets even weirder too, Jamie, because the man with his legs crossed under him, arms cuffed behind his back and a beeping collar around his neck starts sobbing, begging for someone to go find the keys for the lock for him so they could take the collar off and save his life. You see, he starts saying that he was set up for all of this and that three black people had lured him into the false situation and put this collar around his neck, and it was going to go off if he couldn't find the keys and the codes. 
He says that he was delivering a pizza for someone when they strapped the collar around his neck, told him it was a bomb, and gave him instructions to go rob a bank in the ways he was going to be able to find the keys to unlock it. Now, at this point, the officers who, you know, aren't necessarily specifically trained in bomb science or whatever you call it, are shielding themselves behind their patrol cars, you know, guns drawn, pointed at this man, all while he's screaming out for help, wondering why no one is helping him take the collar off. At this point, the bomb squad had been called in, of course, and were on their way to what has become a very odd scene right in the middle of a road next to a McDonald's parking lot. Totally, you know, a, a normal environment otherwise. And the local news media had also gotten wind of this, too, and they were all set up to capture this whole strange situation on camera. Some stations even started broadcasting live, cutting into programming, as, again, the tensions in the world were high just a few years after the terrorist attacks. A lot of the public had immediately assumed that this was another terrorist attempt. And as the man sat there crying out for help, saying that time was running out for him, the beeping got louder and louder and more and more frequent. And at 3.18 p.m., the cameras were rolling and the world watched as he ran out of time. Get ready for that big test with Study.com. Study.com offers learning materials and test prep, even LSAT study prep guides for all of my legal nerds listening. Unfortunately, there aren't any wine study guides, and believe me, I did check. Listeners can get 30% off their first three months of any subscription level using the promo code CRIMEOVERWINE. Again, that's promo code CRIMEOVERWINE, no spaces, for 30% off your first three months at study.com. Learn faster, stay motivated, study smarter with our sponsor, study.com. Just 30 minutes after this bank heist took place, the bomb around the man's neck went off, immediately killing the man who had spent his final moments crying out for help to anyone with an earshot. It was just moments before the bomb squad had rolled up to try and defuse it. Oh my goodness. So he got, so the bomb actually went off. Were they, I, I actually saw the video on that when it went off. Mm-hmm. I mean, the news media is all there. What a horrific moment. Yeah. And all the people that yeah. were, you know, not sure if he was trying to just escape from the bomb. I mean, man. So, yeah. And like and again, so so there's like 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 we were talking about this whole time, right? Like the, the tensions are high because of the, what's going on in the world right now. But there's also like, again, like this presumption at the very, very beginning that this may not actually be legit. Right. Like that it's possible um, that that the guy don't doesn't have a real neck or a bomb around his neck. It's just like a beeping thing. And so I'm almost wondering, like, if that kind of played into like how that like, cause, like, you know, as you see the video, like the, these like reporters are fairly close. Um, and so, and like, even like, frankly, the, the, the police officers are, are fairly close. Um, and so I'm wondering if like, if again, like if it was kind of like, a, like, you know, there's something in the back of someone's head of like approaching this whole thing as like, this may be a, like an actual fake, like this, this may not be an actual, you know, a real bomb that's going off. Um, I know you have to, you know, of course approach everything as though it is a real thing. Absolutely. Um, but so, but I mean, certainly when bomb actually goes off, like, you know, you're proven wrong, right? Right. <laughs> so yeah, and and you know, at, at that time, back in those days, that was the the law enforcement response to a lot of these situations was dramatically different than mm. what it has become today. So back in those mm. days, you know, it, the bomb squad probably, you know, their response time was slower. It was com- dramatically different because now with mm. active shooter situations and all of these other things, tactics have dramatically changed since back in the early 2000s. So I can completely see where this was back up, keep him from being able to injure anybody else. And then you get the professional people that are trained in those situations. Yeah. Um, but like I say, now we, we try to do a lot more training for the, some of those situations now, not necessarily a bomb around somebody's neck. That's a pretty dramatic situation, <laughs> yeah. right? But yeah. I, I can definitely see for a lot of these different types of situations. So this one is really, really crazy with the actual bomb around. Yeah. That just that floors yeah. me the whole time. I mean, it's a crazy, crazy story. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm something they're not going to forget for a very, very, very long Absolutely. time. Absolutely. So. So, so who was yeah. this guy? 
Do we know who he was? Yeah, we do, Jamie. Now we do. So he was 46-year-old Brian Wells, a husband and father and a pizza delivery guy, actually, at a nearby pizzeria. And again, the immediate assumptions about what had happened here did not involve that what, you know, what he was saying or on the ground with the bomb strapped around his neck was true at all. The public, again, still an edge from the horrors of 9-11, were much more likely to believe that Brian was involved somehow and that this was a very intentional robbery and a possible terrorist attack. So as police began investigating the situation, they look on Brian's person and don't really find much, but they are able to find his car, and it's what's inside of his car that makes them believe for the first time that it's possible that what he was saying was actually true. Inside of Brian's car, they find a nine-page note that was more like instructions, like an instruction manual. They were instructions of how Brian was to rob the bank, and then in instructions that would lead him on this, you know, elaborate scavenger hunt across the area to find the keys that would unlock the collar and save his life. And so, Jamie, I'm hoping that you're going to be able to read just the first page of this of this note, this instruction manual for us. Absolutely. So um, the rules were, number one, you must follow a course of instructions to find keys and combination codes to disarm the bomb. Do not insert keys into keyholes until instructed. Some keyholes are booby-trapped to prevent tampering. Rule two, drive 60 mile per hour throughout the course. Rule three, use only two or three minutes at each stop. A sentry will be watching at each stop to ensure you are not followed. Rule four, bomb has tripwires. Forcing or tampering will detonate. Rule five, all weapons, papers, containers, tapes, etc. must be returned to, to us. Each item you find after dropping money has a key and or combination word. You will need to decipher the combination. This will disarm some tripwires before you unlock. This procedure is to make sure you leave no materials behind. Wow. That's pretty specific. Yeah. And not much time Very. between. Wow, that really doesn't leave him much time. Nope. No, it certainly doesn't. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in a, in, a, in a second about what police make of that when they when they see this note. Um, but, I mean, talk about elaborate, right? I mean, the, like, every single detail of this is, like, thoroughly planned out, like, to the point where, you know, again, like, two or three minutes at each stop, you can only drive 60 miles per hour for whatever reason. I can't imagine, you know, why that would really matter specifically i guess outside of just like again controlling him yeah um because i can't imagine that like his car is like rigged up to like explode but like whatever um but like so again so like some keyholes are booby trapped like this is like a very elaborate machine that, that they're talking about here um and it, like so whoever made this i mean again what like we we're talking about before knew what they were doing absolutely yeah yeah they had very it, it almost seems like they actually would have had to have gone out and done this to be able to make notes right. to be able to say this is what you have to do under this time frame otherwise you won't make it so it, yeah it's yeah. very detailed it's it's pretty insane yeah well and so that's a good point too because um so you because you were talking about you know the explanation maybe for like the 60 miles per hour you know rule um is you know if if you're only like if you have x amount of time before this bomb goes off and you're only allowed to do two or three minutes um at each stop and like you know like 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 you were saying like it, like this person must have went through and said okay well if you do 60 miles per hour between each stop and you only spend two or three minutes here um at each thing then you that is the only way you're going to be able to make it through this whole thing right yeah. Well, again, you know, that was only page one, though, Jamie. The other eight pages include detailed instructions, including maps of how to find the keys. Then other pages have instructions for how he should deal with the bank teller and the police if he should encounter them. And we are going to link all to all of those pages on our website, crimeoverwine.com, so you can read them all for yourselves, too. Because it's a ride, so, like, get your glass of wine ready for that. But it was determined fairly quickly that Brian was being led on a wild goose chase. The instructions included points where he would drop the cash off to someone and then he would be able to continue on his way to find the rest of the keys and the codes to disable the bomb. And the notes also said that he would be followed the entire time to make sure he was abiding by the rules exactly. And if he didn't, they would set the bomb off. 
The notes also said that the locks were set up so that if they were tampered with or not unlocked properly, they would automatically be set off. So with the time frame that police were able to put together, they determined that there was no way that he was going to be able to finish all of the steps in the note before the bomb was set to go off and killed him. The police also said that the way the locks and dials were set up, they could not have been removed safely. There's no way. So even if Brian had followed the instructions exactly, the bomb still would have went off and Brian still would have died. Oh, wow. That's... <laughs> it just leaves you with so many questions, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. my, my biggest question is really why. I mean, you know, like yeah. what... What could have led them to doing this? So, you know, and then obviously the main question is like, I mean, who would be behind all of it? Well, that's a good question, um, Jamie, and it's really not immediately clear. And let me tell you why, though. Why, you know, with this kind of, you know, high profile case, there tends to be some infighting as to who would be investigating. The ATF said it should be them because there was a modified gun and an explosive involved. But the FBI said that the motivation, the main motivation was a bank robbery, which would make it in their jurisdiction. But then local police stepped up and said that it was, you know, in their immediate jurisdiction. So it really should be them leading this investigation. Ultimately, and albeit relatively quickly, it was decided that the FBI would take the lead and the ATF and local police would assist them in the investigation. Brian's family, who were, of course, absolutely devastated by what had happened to him, were confused that it was ever even an assumption that Brian may have been involved intimately here because he was quiet, unassuming, a really nice guy, like would not hurt a fly. But when police searched Brian's home, they found some things that maybe his family didn't know about. They found a list of people that Brian had known, and on that list were the names of two sex workers, including one named Jessica Hoopsick, who said she saw Brian fairly regularly. Oh, of course. (laughs) Seems like there's always something that people don't know about somebody in these types of situations. You know, they always find something. And of course, it's going to be a couple of sex workers now and if that's getting involved that's going to get to a unique situation absolutely yeah sure is yeah and like and like i we've talked about this so many times in this podcast but i'll just talk about it again like like how you really truly even the people you know the absolute most you really truly don't know anybody you know what i mean like you don't know like what people have in their drawers you don't know who people are talking to when they leave for the day and you think they're wherever like you really don't you really 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 don't know someone 100 percent. right like even and again like the people who you are you know the absolute closest to like you just you just don't know what what's gonna come out of someone's shadows i mean you you really you really really don't um and so i mean this is just i mean a picture perfect example of how like somebody is leading this totally different life that you know odds are his family didn't know about right yeah yeah it is really really insane because this is where you know in a lot of those situations i mean yeah they all of a sudden find out you know just all of the different skeletons in people's closets now they're able to pull it off right. and hide this stuff from from such close loved ones it, it makes you just think that right. they're you're not as close with that person as you thought you were um, yeah. you know, or families that they weren't, I don't know. It, it is really crazy how some people, you know, just stuff that yeah. they have in their closets. Well, and, and not even just like, you know, make you like, you know, wonder about like that, but it also makes you wonder to me anyways, like what else are you capable of if you're capable of, of, of holding that kind of secret? You know what I mean? Cause it's like, I don't really keep a whole lot of secrets. Like I have some, don't get me wrong, but it's like, it's like, I like, like, I don't like nothing like that like there are no like you know i'll be on record right now there are no sex workers in my you know sex worker numbers in my drawer you know what i mean so it's like so it like like I, it just makes you wonder like you know like when you're when you know this is the the outcome of their life you know and and you find out that they're hiding this kind of secret like what else are you hiding absolutely yeah, it you know definitely goes to yeah it definitely goes to show doubt in in anything else that mm-hmm. they could have been done when you when you prove something like that against somebody you know, you're like, OK, well, if they were capable of this and you didn't know about it, then what else are they capable of that you didn't know? about? Right. Yeah. Well, Jessica ends up being very helpful, though, Jamie. She mentions a name when she when police interview her um, that police hadn't heard of before. The name is Kenneth Barnes, who was known to deal crack and who ran in fairly similar circles as Brian in terms of engaging with sex workers. And from there, they develop a whole new list of names, four to be exact. There was Kenneth, but then there was also William Rothstein, Floyd Stockton, and Marjorie Deal Armstrong. Well, that list came together 
pretty quickly of a bunch of people. I wonder if this is the people mm. that he was explaining when he had the collar on and he was saying that all these people put yeah. him up to it. So I wonder if that's the, you know. Well, and like what's interesting, like this really had no elaboration in, in any of the things that I read about this case. But, you know, when Brian was on the ground, he was he's like screaming out that like a bunch of black people for whatever reason put him up to this. All, everyone here is white. Are they all? Okay. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really know where that came from, but like, it was just one of those details that I was like, oh, okay. And like, never got any sort of further explanation on, but that's where, we, where we're at. Well, that definitely throws a monkey wrench in all of the stuff then. Cause if it's, yeah. if this was the group of people and then you would just assume that that's who he was trying to talk about. But yeah, if he's not even got right. that detail correct, then again, what, what else is, you know, not correct. Yeah. Yeah, really good question. Well, so these three's connections to each other are fairly loose, but somehow police are able to theorize that they are all connected to the robbery attempt and the bombing that killed Brian. Initially, when police start asking questions, they all start to blame each other and deny having any involvement in the plan itself. So their stories are rather convoluted, but this is what police say was all common among their stories. About a month before the robbery, Marjorie had apparently asked Tenneth if he knew how to build a pipe bomb. And around the same time, Marjorie had given two egg timers to William, who was apparently this really extensive handyman and who had also dated Marjorie for a period of time. So, you know, they also fairly universally pointed to Floyd, who was a registered sex offender and was a fugitive on a rape charge out of Washington State at the time of the robbery. The other three said that he was intimately involved in the planning of this scheme. They said that the morning of the robbery, Floyd was seen leaving William's garage with the bomb and handing it over to William. They also said that he was going to be responsible for divvying up the money once the plot was through. Oh, Kadoke. Um, it's, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just really, I mean, I can see where egg timers are important um, because the timer is going to be when, when it, a certain thing, then the, mm-hmm. the bomb will go off, right? So the egg timer. Be, I don't know why sure. two of them would be of any significance. Well, and I guess I just don't really understand why that in its in a in and of itself is like is like the thing that's like yes, like you must have been involved somehow because like egg timers, especially around then, like fairly common. But certainly in like the like the you know bigger picture here, I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah, and that's what I'm. And I'm also you know where they got the registered sex fit. You know, sex offender is the they're saying is the mastermind i guess i don't i don't know where they're mm-hmm. i mean obviously there's not enough there for us to know why they've come to these conclusions you right. know but definitely people that you want to talk to yeah oh for sure yeah and we're going to flesh out a whole lot more about like how like all, all these like you know lines are connected and stuff between the between the four of them um so definitely hold that thought for sure um but yeah and again like kind of kind of what you're what you're getting in there too right like certainly like you know sex offender you know previous sex offender like is the you know like that is you know someone who's capable of a crime but like you know like rape and blowing people up not exactly the same thing right but still like fairly elaborate scheme right it's kind of the kind of the point of what we're trying to get out get at here um is just like everyone had like their own little job and like and, you know, I guess, you know, Floyd, I guess, was the person who, you know, was kind of like the middleman throughout this whole thing was like making it all happen. Um, but like to me and like, again, we're going to talk about this a little bit later on. But like it seemed as though Marjorie was the person like pulling all these people together um, based on what's happening here. Um, but also at the same time, too, in my opinion, anyways, it's like. Like, I don't really even know how much stake to put into any of this um, because it's like all these people just pointing fingers at each other all at the same time. And like, this is just kind of what out of all of that police like came up with this, that this seemed to be the only like constants throughout this whole, um, you know, them, you know, finger pointing game that this is kind of where all the cards fell, I suppose. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, again, you know, all of these stories are fairly convoluted, and this is really all that they have to go off of at this point, which is all hardly enough to bring charges against any of them, let alone all of them. But it's clear at this point that they have a strong suspicion about each other of their involvement. Police say that they believed all four of them were involved in this plan in one way or another and planned to get rich quick off of this entire scheme. They believe that William was involved in actually building the collar bomb and was the one who was meant to follow Brian once he left the bank so that he could pick up the cash and leave. But apparently he had fled once police arrived and before he could get any of the cash. 
Police do believe that Floyd and Kenneth were also involved in making this all happen and that Kenneth was likely part of, you know, picking out Brian to be their fall guy. They also theorize that Floyd was indeed the person to be responsible for making sure everyone got their cut. But police say that the person who was driving this entire operation and was orchestrating this whole plot was Marjorie. Marjorie was incredibly intelligent. She was class valedictorian in high school and police believe that she had the real motive to make this whole thing happen. There was apparently some dispute that Marjorie had had with her father over the inheritance that her mother had left for Marjorie after she had died. Basically, when Marjorie's mother passed, the home she owned sold for about a half million dollars, but when all was said and done, her estate was given much less for one reason or another, and so Marjorie's dad had only given her about $50,000 as her cut of her mother's estate. So police believe that that infuriated Marjorie and that she thought her father was hiding money from her. So police say that her motivation was to use the money she got from the robbery scheme to take a hit out on her dad so that she could collect the fortune that she believed he was keeping from her. But police said she was wrong and there was no fortune for her to collect even if she did end up going through with that hit. Oh, wow. That's that's an unreal reason to do a big... <sighs> <laughs> but again, I mean, again, it's like you don't know people. So, I mean, I guess it doesn't make sense right. to me, but, you know, it, it definitely could make sense. Yeah. Well, and like, again, I don't really know how they ended up getting to this point. I think this is just like what they are gathering from like everything that everyone's saying. And the, this is just like the pieces that are making sense out of this whole thing. Um, but again, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, if Marjorie, you know, did go through with this hit and then like it got tied back to her, like she's not getting a dime. So it's like it's kind of like a, an illogical, you know, outcome for this whole thing. And also, like, if you're asking for $250,000 to split between the four or potentially five of you, like, like, why didn't like, why not just take that money from that? Like, I don't really like it didn't really make like that doesn't really make, make really make a whole lot of sense to right. me anyways. Well, and, and then and then in the grand scheme of things, he walked out of the bank still with only what was it like nine grand? They just right. Yeah. Oh, and so then what's the yeah, that's not enough for four or five people to all distribute amongst each yeah. other. You know, it's not going to do anybody any good. Yeah, well, and like what like makes me laugh, frankly, is like because like you we keep talking about how like like elaborately like thought out this whole thing was in terms of just like the the actual mechanics, but like not well thought out to be like I know right like logical people know that like banks don't just keep two hundred fifty thousand dollars on hand like for cash that you can just like hand out um if someone at, like demands it um so it's just like you know like you thought all this way through you made it like a nine page instruction manual for this dude you captured your guy made this whole bomb but didn't actually think to see if there was actually two hundred fifty thousand dollars to be had like right hello. well and then and then how long is it going to take him to go get the two hundred fifty thousand dollars from the back mm -hmm. or wherever that and right they've only allotted three minutes per stop but you thought it was going right. to take less than three minutes to rob a bank of two hundred fifty thousand dollars and then get back out and then go get keys and do all these other things like that time frame makes no sense and yeah, like you said, I, I really believe that too. Cause yeah, if they were going to go, <laughs> so it's so crazy to <laughs> walk out with 250 grand in three minutes. Yeah. Well, and like, and like not even just that either. Cause like, like you're running like a huge risk of, let's say there is $250,000 in this bank. Like you're running this huge risk that he like walks out and like all that money gets blown up. Right. So it's like like what's the what's the realistic outcome here which like granted like like um like william apparently was like right outside waiting for like for the pass off kind of thing but like who's to say he even gets there like what if there was traffic right <laughs> yeah well, he didn't even, he didn't even get there for the for the nine grand right 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 so that, right they got no yeah. money out of it it does i mean not zero it's making sense so yeah yeah i agree well again you know these are all just like the theories that resulted from a whole lot of the sh just secondhand information and finger pointing they didn't have any hard evidence that directed this robbery to this foursome just yet so police were getting pretty desperate for information and boy oh boy did their patience end up paying off Crime Over Wine is sponsored by BetterHelp. As someone who's used therapy for years, I know that finding a therapist can sometimes be a stress on its own, juggling your full-time job, your family, your friends, your podcast, and trying to find the right therapist on top of that can almost feel impossible. That's where BetterHelp comes in. 
BetterHelp matches you with a therapist that works for you on your terms. It's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to one of 33,000 licensed professional therapists in as little as a few days. And because finding a new therapist is a lot like finding a new bottle of wine, if you don't jive with your therapist, you can easily switch to a new one at no additional cost. You can get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by going to betterhelp.com slash crimeoverwine. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crimeoverwine for 10% off your first month. Join over 4 million people who decided to get help and get happy with BetterHelp. All right, Jamie, have I converted you yet? What are you? Are you? Are you a wine drinker now? I, I tell you what, I'm not minding this wine at all. It's really pretty tasty mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say if it would have been a different kind of wine, you might not have, but I think that you nailed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Listen, I because I like for, first of all because I always enjoy the the bottles too, right? And it's like it's a blue, it's a very like clean blue bottle, very normal or you know pretty simple label. Um, which I appreciate um, because, you know, there are a lot of wines that are just like, you know, like, you know, the visual aspect really kind of turns me off sometimes in terms of just like looking at the bottle. Um, but it's I like you said, I'm not I'm not super minding this. I probably would not, you know, choose this again. But, you know, for for the sweet wine lovers of the world, I'm like this is this you you y'all would probably enjoy this fairly, fairly, fairly well because it's it's pretty palatable. It's pretty like, you know, simple. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, talking about the bottle. I mean, really, there it, it's very unassuming. There's not, it doesn't hardly say mm-hmm. nothing on it. Yeah, it's it's kind of neat looking. Yeah, I like the sweetness of the wine. Let's get right back into the story because we have a whole lot more to talk about here. We're not even scratching the surface of what we of of this whole thing. So let's get there. Fantastic. All right. So on September twenty first, two thousand and three, police get a call from none other than William Rothstein to report that he had a body hidden in the freezer in his basement. Well, oh, no way. A body? So whose body? Well, when police show up, they find that body in a freezer in William's basement, and they determine that the body belonged to James Roden, who was Marjorie's ex-boyfriend of about 10 years. Oh, well, that's definitely a wrinkle in the whole entire story right there <laughs> yeah, say the least yeah right and also let's let's point out here like the the robbery happened on october 28th so this is like less than a month later that we're talking about this wow so a month later than they find that that's right wow yeah okay right. so so do we know what happened to him that he ends up dead yes so it was determined that james had likely been dead for weeks possibly more than a month James had been shot to death, and William tells investigators that Marjorie did it, and she did it because James was catching on to their plan about the bank heist and had threatened to call police about it. Now, it's not totally clear, like, how long William knew James was in his freezer. I have a lot of questions about that. We never got answers to that, so, you know, just pocket that, I suppose. But it was crystal clear that William was turning on Marjorie and was implicating her as the mastermind of this entire plan. And when police, be, you know, dig more into this, they find that James wasn't even the first of Marjorie's former lovers to have died under similarly bizarre circumstances. In 1984, Marjorie had shot and killed Robert Thomas, her boyfriend at the time, but she was acquitted after she had argued she shot him in self-defense. Then, in 1992, her husband Richard Armstrong had died from a cerebral hemorrhage, and Marjorie had sued the hospital that he was treated at for malpractice, and she ended up winning that lawsuit. So, she just has, like, this history of, number one, husbands or spouses dying— Number two, going mm-hmm. after some type of win. So the whole thing is just, yeah, unreal. Well, I'm, I kind of, what, you're t- what you said before, like, like wrinkle in this whole thing, like pretty freaking big wrinkle, right? Because it's like, it's like you have like this elaborate scheme that like connects back to these people. And one of those people who like, you know, is believed to have like been puppeteering this whole thing has a very violent history and not only just a violent history, but a history of a violent history that she gets away with. At least, at least twice, you know, potentially, potentially even more than that, um, you know, because I have to, you know, believe 
to a certain extent that Richard, you know, died from natural causes or this was like a totally natural freak thing that Marjorie had nothing to do with. So, but, so, but then, but then there's also, you know, this situation with, with, with her second boyfriend, Robert, who, who again, she killed whether it was self-defense or not. And then now third boyfriend dead. Yeah. She, she, you know, sued the, the hospital, got money. And then she puts this scheme together. So that way she can get quick money from her father's estate. It just, yeah, I mean, yeah, right. And so, and again, like, you know, when, you know, who I forgot who says this at some point, um, but you know, it's like when someone tells you who they are, like, you better believe them. And so it's like, if, if you, if, if you have this like violent, you know, history of, of some, of something and a history of, you know, taking, you know, financial advantage of things, like I don't put that past somebody to, you know, you know, develop this whole scheme. Um, you know, that seems like the type of person who, who would develop this again, kind of what you said to get rich quick kind of thing. Right. Absolutely. You know, yeah, that's what seems like. And she obviously doesn't have a problem potentially killing people to get some. Right. Got a history. Right. So it's crazy. Yeah. Potentially. Right. Again, assuming that that's that, you know, that what we're assuming of Marjorie (laughs) probably safely is true. right? Right. But so, so point taken there. Um, but you know, the, she was not getting away with with um, with James's murder on this in this situation. Mar- you know, Marjorie was arrested for the murder of James, and once that happened, and she caught on that William was the one who turned her in, she starts throwing him under the bus for the entire plan, including the murder of James. And that is when the dominoes start falling for the other three too. The investigators really start to, you know, heat up at this point. Now that they have Marjorie in custody for murder, and just a few months later, Kenneth had been arrested for dealing drugs. In July of 2004, before he had ever been arrested, William had actually died of lymphoma. But years after that, with Marjorie and Kenneth both behind bars, they are finally able to paint a really clear picture about what they believed happened, actually happened, on August 28, 2003. In July of 2007, federal prosecutors pulled together a press conference, and they make an eerie announcement, and I mean eerie. Floyd had had taken an immunity deal, so he was not going to be charged, they announced, but Marjorie and Kenneth were. Prosecutors pointed their fingers right at Marjorie and Kenneth, and they were charged with armed bank robbery, conspiracy, and using a destructive device in a crime of violence. And they also say that they had other conspirators who were, quote, involved in a limited extent with the planning, and among those co-conspirators was Brian Wells himself. Crime Over Wine is proud to support Emancipat. Today, there are over 60 million beloved pets across the country whose families cannot access or afford veterinary care. With your help, Emancipat is changing that. Emancipat is a nonprofit that offers low-cost vet care for those who need it most. They rely on donations to keep their costs low for pet families across the country. You can support Emancipat's mission at emancipat.org. Well, police say that Brian had been involved in the planning of the robbery for months and argued that he needed the money to pay off his own debts. They said that Brian had, quote, mentally rehearsed the robbery plan for days and had sat for fittings of the device multiple times. They said that they were able to learn all of this thanks to multiple informants and because of statements made by Marjorie. Wow. So now they're saying that he wasn't ever... Oh yeah, that would be that would be a really weird twist. I mean, the guy that ends up getting blown up was involved in the whole mm-hmm. thing. That I don't know if I I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I believe that either because it it, it, it you know assumes a whole lot, right? It seems that he's just like okay to die because like what do you get out of that? You know, like you, nothing. You get nothing. And so I don't yeah I don't really I don't know if I believe that at all. And like also the the you know mentally rehearse the robbery plan for days. I don't really know how you like how are you going to present that in court. Like, where's the evidence that he mentally rehearsed the robbery? Like, I don't really, I don't get that. Like, unless you have, like, like notes of, like, him writing it down and, like, practicing it that way, like, mentally rehearsed is not, like, evidence at all. Right. Now, I, I don't see how you would get yourself into that mental place because, like you just said, what does he stand to really gain out of it if it goes wrong and he ends mm-hmm. up? So he takes on all of the risk to only get a fourth of the reward? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't get where that would be. That does, that doesn't seem right to me at all. Yeah, no, I yeah, I totally agree. I do, and we're like we'll get to a point, and I have my theory about how this may have happened. So let, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about that, Jamie, about my theory. So let's get there. 
Um, you know, Brian's family members vocally opposed, opposed this accusation, screaming out from the audience that prosecutors were lying about Brian's involvement. They maintain to this day that Brian was a victim in all of this. But Brian, of course, could not be charged with anything. So the cases against Marjorie and Kenneth move forward. Marjorie ends up pleading guilty but mentally ill to third-degree murder in James's case. She said that she was not responsible for James's murder, but she wanted to avoid a longer sentence. So she was sentenced to 7 to 20 years in prison in that case. And in September of 2008, Kenneth also pleaded guilty in the robbery and bombing. He was sentenced to 45 years in federal prison and agreed to testify in Marjorie's upcoming trial, which cut his sentence in half when he did so. And his testimony helped to find Marjorie guilty of her charges in November of 2010. She was sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years for her involvement, which prosecutors maintained was to orchestrate this entire thing. But the whole time, Marjorie said she was not the mastermind in the robbery and bombing that killed Brian. She said that William was actually responsible, again, the dead guy. And she said that all the way up until her death in federal prison in, in April of 2017, and just two years later in June, Kenneth also died in prison. Oh my goodness. So all of the people involved did not live that long after all of this. That's really mm -mm. crazy. Yeah. Well, except for Floyd. Floyd, apparently, um, I read that he had had been, um, I think, most likely extradited back to Washington State to face charges for the rape and, and sexual assault. Um, and so that's, so Floyd, as far as I know, is still alive. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah. So just one, though, out of the whole thing. Because then William, yeah. yeah, he dies, what, a year, not even a year later, right around there anyway? Right. And right. yeah, of course, why wouldn't you try to make him the fall guy for the whole thing, right? Of course. Right. Convenient. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy convenient. And then the other person's already going against her. So then you can't just say, no, he did it. He, she did it. You know, so of course that's mm -hmm. for her to do. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. And I, I mean, I mean, they like, you know, Marjorie gets, gets life in prison, right. Out of all this. So like, I guess kind of a win, even though she didn't, you know, get, you know, she didn't serve that whole time. Um, It does kind of make, it doesn't sit great with me that Kenneth only got, ended up getting like 20 years out of this again, even though he didn't, you know, live all that long. Um, But yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't really know how, how to sit, with this, I suppose, especially considering what we're about to talk about um, in terms of, like, Brian's potential involvement and all that stuff. So I have a lot of questions in this, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I also think about, too, the um, uh, Stephen Melky case, too, right? It's episode 38 of this podcast. Um, it was the Stephen Melky case where he had three people involved, right? But, like, none of them ended up being charged. And, like, there was all this evidence pointing to that. But none of them ended up being charged directly with the murder. And so it's, like... It's so anyway, so I sell that to say in this case, it's like you had all this evidence pointing to a group of people, but nothing like specific enough to say like this person did this. And so therefore this murder charge or this charge, you know, belongs on this person. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting here because it's like there, you have all this evidence that it's like somebody like this group of people at least did this. And then like somebody may have been involved in like, you know, the thing that led to Brian's death. But like, how do you like, how do you dis how do you figure that out? Like, there's not enough evidence to like, you know, pinpoint that exact thing. Right. I agree. And then how, you know, like what evidence leads you to believe that one person was more involved than the other person? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, like, right. I get that. That definitely does. And then the one guy takes the deal, but maybe he more was, you know, you just never really. Right. So, no. Yeah. Yeah. But I would also say that where she's been involved in at least two other murders potentially mm -hmm. uh, with spouses that, you know, and she wasn't serving it, it, it. All of the people that she wronged throughout her life, it does kind of sting that she only ended up serving. What would that end up being like 15 years? Um, right. Roughly mm. you know, 10, 15 years. Ish, yeah. And then she ends up dying. So, that, I mean, that that's just too bad that she didn't, you know, get more in trouble with the initial like involvement in that murder with a right. spouse, right. then that maybe none of this stuff even happens. Yeah, well, and like possibly could have been involved in a in, a, in her dad's death too. If 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 all this like went went right, I mean, if if what they're saying is true about her. Oh, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, and like like too, because we talk about this all the time on this podcast, right? Where it's like if you don't have like the the full like the full evidence. Because think about like the Ellen Greenberg case, right? Where like so many people, like, there wasn't enough evidence there, and so it's like if you go after the case prematurely or like go after the wrong charges in that case, then it's like and then you're screwing yourself because then you get a like a not guilty verdict. But if you don't have the, all the evidence collected, and then you can't retry it, and so that that's kind of where I think about uh, about here, where it's like if if you attach the wrong charge to the wrong person, the 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 the, the murder murder charge to the wrong person then you screw yourself in the end because it because if you don't have the evidence to 100 percent back that up um and so i mean this this seems like a really good example of that oh absolutely and that's why i always say i mean i i always you always say that you want to put together the best case because you also don't want wrongful conviction right so right if you're, if you're taking True. somebody forward on something you definitely want to be able to prove by the evidence and that's not I mean, you want the evidence to point that way. And even where you see some of these cases where people make up their mind of who they want to be that person, I've seen multiple mm -hmm. cases that way. And then you get sidetracked and it's like, you want the husband or you want, you know, and, and so, or the spouse, whatever. And, and so it's like mm -hmm. the person right. you want for the crime. And then you just try to fit the pieces. So I, I like the evidence to point you in a direction. And so mm -hmm. it pointed them to the people because they ended up, you know, they, they were all involved, but I don't know if they really have spelled anything out in what we've seen so far uh, yeah. that it really was her, the mastermind of it, other than right. history. Sure. Well, and like who, like who actually like strapped the collar around Brian's neck, knowing that it was a real bomb, like knowing that he wasn't going to be able to get it off. Like that, that, that seems like the best evidence if that exists um, to point to a murder charge. But like right now we're not really like, we, we don't have that. We don't know who that was. Right. Oh, I, I agree with that. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Cause you can put a plan together all day, but that person that knew that he was dead once he put it on that person should have been right. one. That's yeah. That's, that's yeah. A that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I agree with that. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like we were talking about, you know, notably, you know, no one was ever charged with Brian's murder because, again, you know, the prosecutor's theory here is that Brian may have been involved in planning this whole thing. And a lot of people still believe that to this day. In 2003, so shortly after the robbery, federal prosecutors gave an interview to People magazine about this investigation. And Jamie, can you read this quote of what he told reporters? Yes, his quote was, it defies logic that a human would do that to himself. But in all my years on the job, it has never ceased to amaze me what people do and what the possibilities are. You know what? Um, and, and that'd be end quote. You know, um, I would agree with that because, I mean, even looking at back at some of the stuff we've talked about just now, I mean, you never know. His family didn't know about the sex workers that he was having dealings with. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So if you didn't know that about him, maybe, but I, I still, again, like we talked about, I still personally think there's no way the risk, risk to reward ratio, unless he just wasn't, you know, and you can't say, but risk to reward, what do you stand that you're, you're going to die to maybe make nine grand. I, right. I don't see that. I just don't even 250,000, yeah. but then you're going to split it with the people. That, right. I, I, it just doesn't make enough sense to me to, to yeah. what he was, but I do agree with that quote that you don't know. You truly don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. he just wanted a group of friends and this group of friends was going to have him do this. And then he got talked into doing it. And, you know, but I mean, I don't, I don't know him. And I, I would, I would still like to believe that there's just no way that he would have put himself in that position yeah criminal surprises left and right huh there's nothing they'll they won't do um but let's let's talk about there because there's a really fascinating you know thing that pops up here that leads to a theory that i really like so let's talk about that um you know a lot about this case was exposed through the netflix docuseries evil genius and a lot of people who were tied to this case gave interviews to producers including kenneth barnes himself before he died he told producers from prison that Brian was indeed involved, but he thought that the bomb was going to be a fake, that it was going to be this big ploy to scare tellers into complying, but that there was never going to be any real danger to him. He told prosecutors that Brian had been discussing the plot up to a month before it had taken place, which was corroborated apparently by another witness who was not named in Kenneth's arrest affidavit. But Kenneth said that Brian thought the bomb was fake up until right after it was attached to his neck when he was told that it was actually real oh, I, I have a hard time believe, again believing that whatsoever but 
I also have a hard time saying it was corroborated by a witness, but that witness isn't named. I'm sorry. If the witness isn't right. named, then that's just an accusation. People can throw accusations around yeah. about anything anytime they want. Yeah. Well, unless, unless in my mind, unless it was Floyd, right, where, who got this deal, like, you know, under the, you know, circumstance of, uh, circumstances of anonymity. True. True. But I still don't, I, I have a hard time with, again, they can see the case, right? But with what we're presented with, I, I've never liked the, it, it makes it really tough to say, if that witness mm-hmm. isn't named, then I, I don't believe what they say. Well, and and certainly like a jury wouldn't either, in my opinion, probably, right? I, I would I would think so. Yeah, if you don't put the person yeah. up on a stand, and honestly, you can't even bring in a lot of that stuff into court. Because uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. if, if that person, they have to be able to testify to it, but you can't just bring right. things up when you're there. So, you know, like um, we see all of the time, um, you know, with people when they do stuff or whatever – People can throw around wild accusations and say whatever they want to. But when you're in a courtroom, you, those people have to be there to give their side. Otherwise, it does not make it in. Mm. And so, yeah, so that would not have been. And and, it, and I don't I even believe that with this Kenneth, I mean, at, at this point, you know, when he's behind bars now and he's talking to reporters, he can say whatever he wants to say. Right. Yeah. Whatever sounds interesting. Right. Yeah. I mean, frankly, I mean, I don't put it past these kind of guys to just like, you know, say something because it'll make a better documentary, you know? Absolutely. Sometimes these things, when you're looking at it again, when you're looking at it at an angle that you want it to present itself as, then you can see it that way. But you can, right. It depends on how you sell the story, you know? So that's why I don't know. I, I still, I still just after what I've seen and what I've done, I I believe that he didn't, that it wasn't, he wasn't. Yeah. You see, because the only reason that I, that I like, like want to believe this, right, is because it's the only thing in my mind that makes any sort of sense to, to, you know, believe that he was involved and to believe that he put the, the collar on himself, right? Because if he really thought, okay, yeah, let's just put the collar on, you go up, you tell him it's a bomb, but it's not actually a bomb. No one's even in any danger, but you make it look real enough. And then all of a sudden it's on your neck and you're just like, oh, by the way, it's real. Like I could see, I could see that where all of a sudden it's like the panic because there's even like this moment in the docu-series at, right at the very beginning um, where they were talking about how like it seemed as though like as soon as, as soon as the police like cut open his shirt and like saw that and like everyone and like revealed the collar um that that's like you can like they said that you could even see it on his face that that's when he may have realized that it was a real thing and so like maybe everything just started to feel real so i don't know i just if if i'm if I, like i'm not totally sold that he was that he was 100 involved i'm really not but if it like that is the only situation that makes any sort of sense to in my mind um as to how he could have been involved um you know intimately in, in making all this thing happen but still end up dead i can understand that what i what i would probably go with more myself um based Mm -hmm. on everything that we've talked about and then i do think i've watched the docuseries but i do remember i I can i can still remember the video um Mm -hmm. because it was on the news right and it is that video is everywhere so yeah i i've seen that video a few times and that was sheer panic on his face i would say Does he know the people involved? Absolutely, probably did. Was he maybe even friends with these people? Yeah. Were they? Did he maybe get into a little plot with them? Maybe. But I still think that it that they. I don't know. I I just I don't see that he put this thing on himself. And then it's yeah. And the, with all of the little triggers and how integrate this thing was, mm-hmm. that it would have taken some time to even put it on him right so yeah that's a good point. i can even see where they were maybe talking to him about it or maybe he was thinking about doing something with the people or whatever but i think that they picked him and then they put this thing on him and he was terrified about it and i think mm-hmm. knowing all of the stuff you know i mean again it because if he was involved even thinking it was fake but he wanted 250 grand when he st- tells the bank teller, the, the piece that sticks out to me more than any of it is he goes into the bank. She gives him the eight, nine thousand, whatever it was, dollars. And then he just says, well, thank you. And turns and walks out. He clearly says, I'll mm. blow everybody up. You give me 250 grand. So if he would have got the full 250 and left, he's involved. I could see that. 
But if he just mm. took the nine thousand and turned and ran, that it just I I don't think he was. I don't think he wanted to do the robbery. I don't think he wanted nothing to do with any of it. And I I don't know. That's just. I don't know. That that's that's mm. where I would think anyway. Well, um, you know, on that note too, Jamie, let's um go into this next point of what we're talking about because I think it kind of speaks to kind of what you were just saying just now. Um, you know, Jessica Hoopsick, who was Brian and Kenneth's sex worker friend, if you remember, also gave an interview to Netflix's Evil Genius. In that interview, she admits to setting Brian up. She says that she sold Brian's name and his pizza delivery schedule to the group in exchange for drugs and cash. No very well what their plans would be to use brian oh wow see that would make a lot more sense to me it, do do we know it was she end up charged i mean if she did that she should what wholeheartedly be charged with the crime as far as i'm aware this is the only like this interview that she gave to to, to this documentary is the only time that 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 has ever been like you know talked about publicly wow wow that's yeah. crazy that's definitely kind of like a I don't know, like a little nugget in there because that would yeah. make more sense to me. But yeah. if I remember correctly, when I watched it, it was tough to believe what she was saying right. in the documentary. Right. Well, and that's kind of what, like, I take all of that, everything that we talk about in terms of the documentary with a grain of salt, because every single person who's involved here, like, I don't put it past them for one second, kind of like we were talking about before, to just go, like, have this opportunity to go in front of a camera and just, like, make shit up. Like, just, again, just because it's going to be the, you know, the best, the best story at the end of the day. Like, you know, it's like their 15 minutes of fame. I believe that these people are just are, are, you know, wanting that 15 minutes of fame and this is the best chance that they can get. Oh, absolutely. I, I do definitely yeah. agree with that. Especially if it's never been said anywhere else until the documentary. Right. Yeah. Then it's like, right. yeah. No, I agree yeah. with that 100%. Well, and if this is true too, right, like everything else, you know, that, that we're, they were talking about, about Kenneth was saying that he was involved from the beginning and that, and that blah, 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 like, like that, like obviously discounts this entire thing, unless it's like the situation where Brian, like, was friends with the rest of them and, you know, knew them kind of casually, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know if Brian did drugs, but like maybe did drugs um, with them, that kind of thing. And then, you know, and then, you know, when the rest of the four of them were like, hey, you know, we're trying to do this thing, mentioned it to Jessica. And Jessica was like, oh, I know the guy. Like, I can give you Brian's, you know, like pizza delivery schedule. Like, I know that. You know what I mean? And then that and then all of a sudden, like, you know, like, like everything's kind of true where it was like Brian, you know, was kind of talking to these people for a long time. Um, and then Jessica, you know, like hooked them, hooked them up with Brian that way um, and was like, hey, we can we can get you involved. Like, you know, still. So so Brian's still like this unsuspecting person, like a victim and all of this um but you know maybe that's how it was kind of maybe misconstrued or even lied about that brian was you know in communication with these people like in cahoots for a long time for this whole thing oh yeah i could see that big time yeah that would make yeah. a lot of sense yeah well and i don't i don't know i don't really know where i land on this i, I i'm curious where your like head ends up landing because i i still feel like i could see the world where it was like brian was involved um, to a certain extent to to make all this happen, but didn't know that he was going to be the guy who with the bomb strapped around his neck. I could I could see that potentially. I really could. And I really think um, that 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 could end up being the, the end of the, all this. But I also go back to like his family being so adamant that he wasn't involved, that he that he could have been capable of this kind of thing. So I don't know. Where, where do you land, Jamie? Oh, no, I, I definitely would land in the exact same arena as you. I, I do think that if he was because, again, it, it's tough because, again, if his family didn't know about the, the sex worker and it was the sex worker that linked him up with these other people, right. I can definitely see that being an angle and that his family would obviously not want to believe that he was. Um, I could definitely see that being an angle, especially where then law enforcement believes that he may have been involved, too. Like, right. I, I definitely think he had some knowledge of some stuff, but I definitely mm -hmm. don't think that when he walked in there that he knew that he had a live bomb strapped on his chest or around his neck and that he was going to get blowed up over 250 grand. Right. I, just don't, I, I still don't see that he willingly let them. I think that he willingly talked to these people and became friends, but I think they duped him. 
Yeah, that's what. I yeah, I, I land in the same position as you as as you, Jamie, for sure. And I also go back to like his family too, kind of like we were just talking about of like, you know, maybe again, going on the on the side of like Brian may have been involved, like knowledgeably, Um, you know, I think that there's also this like natural instinct for family members to like, you know, to come to their to, you know, their loved ones rescue or like to like, you know, save their their name, that kind of thing. Um, So I do think there's like a possibility, you know, maybe that, you know, that that, you know, they just want to believe that this is the Brian that they knew. Um, when in reality, like maybe they did know about the sex worker, maybe they did know that like maybe he was involved in these people with these people who are known to be, you know, to, to be dealing drugs and like murdering people and stuff, but just want to like clear his name publicly, like, you know, make sure that, you know, because he's dead, he can't speak up for himself. So like, I will, I will say to, to the world, for the world to know that this is the Brian that we want to remember. And I feel like I see that a lot with, with, with victims, family members of just like, you know, like, you know, like they're, they can't, they're not here to, to speak up for them. Like, you're not going to slander their name publicly. Like I'm gonna do what I can to to make sure that, that doesn't happen, which I mean is an is unfortunate I suppose because it's like we don't really it kind of muddies the water if that's true if it muddies the water, um but I mean but I also understand where they would be coming from if that was all true but again to, that's total speculation in my, from my part right no and I agree with that 100 percent I have a hard time with that on a lot of documentaries that I watch they they want to always paint a picture of the person that you see so you never know. right. I mean, it's hard for any of us to really know who Brian was if, unless you actually knew him. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, that is all that we have for you this week. Um, so, Jamie, thank you so much for coming on. It was a great to, he- to get your expertise on, the, on, this, on this case and, um, you know, talk about a real wild one this week for sure. Oh, absolutely. It was really good. I like the way that you told the story. It was well done. Um, and it was, it was, it, it's a crazy story. Uh, mm-hmm. and this kind of lands right around what we do with crack and crime, you know, with, uh, this is kind of a bank robbery and it was, you know, the guy in a bomb and, um, no, I, I definitely appreciate you having me on and yeah, very crazy case. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, for sure, sure is. Um, but tell everyone, everyone who's you know sold on crack and crime now, tell everyone where they can find you guys and your work online. Um, so we're um, everything crack and crime. Facebook at crack and crime. Um, we're on all of the places that you can get your podcast. Um, we do a little bit. We do post our stuff on YouTube as well. So everywhere at crack and crime. Um, not cracking. It's crack in. Um, so <laughs> no. G- <laughs> Don't get it twisted now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's uh yeah crack and crime and then like i say all the social media everything everything's at crack and crime so go check awesome. us out awesome okay well thank you again so much for coming on jamie it's been a pleasure and thank you all so much for listening we are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories too and if you are just loving this podcast and are just wondering how you can tell anyone and everyone about it the best way to help others discover this podcast is by leaving us a five-star rating and a review wherever you are listening right now so make sure you follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and if you're wondering what we have in store for you next Next week, here's a quick sneak peek. Hello, everybody. It's Liam. And I'm Rachel. And I'm Heather from the podcast Like Mother, Like Murder. That's right. We're back. And next week, we are re-entering the crime vineyard to tell you all the story of a love triangle or maybe a love square that went horribly wrong. It is a truly crazy case that you are going to need to hear to believe. You can hear that case next Wine Wednesday on another episode of Crime Over Wine. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.